week ago, Saturday, I preached at the funeral of Candace Early Nolan, who was wife to my cousin Bob Nolan. Candy had died after a long illness. As an actress, she had played leading roles on Broadway, and soap opera fans remember her as Donna on All My Children. I hope you won't mind my making Candy's funeral homily my sermon this morning. It fits today's epistle, epistle where Paul emphatically affirms the power of God to raise the dead. By the way, Candy was as nice a person as you could ever hope to meet. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to light up the sky. Those words are from fame, the show tune. I suppose that every high school musical leading man or lady entertains the thought, if only for a moment, that they can make it big. A few might make it to New York, wait tables, and receive some callbacks from auditions. Hey, Mom, guess what? Those are the one-in-a-million talents. My jazzy sister, Neil, living in New York in 1968, saw an ad for public tryouts for a part in Hair. She and her roommate, Bobo, went downtown to strut their stuff. The line of hopefuls ran around the block, and Neil and Bobo never made it to the door. Candace Early of Lawton, Oklahoma, made it to the stage and lit it up. After Hare, she was Nellie Forbush, the girl from Little Rock in South Pacific, opposite to Robert Goulet. And in Jesus Christ Superstar, she was Mary Magdalene, opposite to Jesus Christ, whose feet she massaged with ointment to soothe him in his time of trial, cooing, try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you, oh, don't you know everything's all right, yes, everything's fine, and we want you to sleep well tonight, let the world turn without you tonight. If we try, we'll get by, so forget all about us tonight. 1992, the year Candy married Bob, I was starting a new church in Little Rock working from an office complex that mainly housed insurance companies. Two girls in the building always took their lunch break in the hallway by the stair watching a little black and white TV. I would pass them on my way out to lunch. One day I asked, what are you watching, ladies? All my children. Is there a Donna on that show? Yep, they said impatiently, wishing that I'd move on. Didn't she leave that show? I thought I'd heard that. Well, yeah, she did. We heard she got married. And that's when I bragged. That's right, she married my cousin. They snorted at that in unison and turned up the sound. <laughs> Later, I found out their names, and Candy sent me pictures for them, inscribed with personal notes, and when I delivered them, they screamed. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly high. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. Mary Magdalene sang of Jesus, I don't know how to love him, but Candy did. In New York, she would wake up on Sunday mornings on the Upper West Side near Lincoln Center, read the Times, and sip her coffee. 
and then spiff up for church in a dressy blouse, short skirt, dark hose, tennis shoes for walking, high heels in her shoulder bag for church. She would trek to the Actors Church in Murray Hill, an hour's walk, heads turning as she went. After church and brunch, she would change her shoes again and start the hike uptown. That's how to love him in Manhattan. I believe that it was his daughter's wanting Candy's autograph that broke the ice for Bob. Here's the story of their meeting on an airplane. Bad winter weather had grounded Bob's plane, messing up his and his daughter Carrie's travel plans. They scrambled for tickets and boarded a big jet. Bob remembers, there Candy was across the aisle, white jeans, blue blouse, curled up with a script. I saw gentleness, he says, and I'm quoting, sweetness, beauty, goodness. And now on the phone, his voice rises, trembling. And for the next 30 years, nothing I ever saw in Candy was any different from what I caught in that first glance. After Bill Nolan, Bob's big brother, first met Candy, he pulled Bob aside and told him to forget about it. He said, you've outkicked your coverage, brother. <laughs> Bob had gotten a call back, good for him, but he'd never land the part. Candy told me that she saw things otherwise. After meeting Bob on the airplane, Candy told her mother about this man with his daughter that she had chance to meet. If only I could find someone like that, she wished. He courted her for years and then asked for her hand, and she said yes and gave up acting and moved to El Dorado, Arkansas. In El Dorado, like New York, Sunday mornings, Candy went to church, First United Methodist. The routine was changed. Getting ready for breakfast, Bob would hear Candy in her dressing room listening to music, the same song every Sunday. It was Sandy Patty belting out the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The words to that hymn were written by a man named Horatio Spafford, who was grieving when he wrote them. His grief was double, the death of his two-year-old son, and the devastation of his city in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Some in Spafford's church believed that catastrophes like that were punishments from God. Spafford knew the Bible better than to believe that. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. So Bob is listening as Candy gets dressed for church. The first verse or two, it is Sandy Patty's powerful voice dress, drifting from the dressing room with soft accompaniment from Candy humming in the background. But then Candy's voice picks up the words and swells to a crescendo eclipsing Sandy Patty. But Lord, tis for thee that for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. In biblical Greek, the word for soul is suke, which means life. 
It's Thomas Aquinas who taught me not to think of bodies and souls as separate parts like oil and water. The soul is the form of the body, he said, using Aristotle's terms. And by that he meant that the soul is what makes us human in the same way that the form of a chair is what makes a wooden chair a chair rather than a log, a bed frame, or a stick of lumber. Our soul is the fact that we are more than the sum of our mortal parts. And it is in that greater sum that wellness finally matters. Candy's voice in full flight praise God whose grace is the mother's milk of wellness. On stage is Mary Magdalene Candy saying to comfort Jesus, Sleep and I shall soothe you, calm you and anoint you. Myrrh for your hot forehead, oh. Then you'll feel everything's all right, yes, everything's fine. And it's cool and the ointment sweet with a fire in your head and feet. Close your eyes, close your eyes, and relax. Think of nothing tonight. Off stage, as soulmates, Candy and Bob would take turns soothing one another in sickness and in health as they had promised, making everything all right as best they could. The day came when Candy could no longer walk or skip to church, turning heads. And then, faithful, High-heeled El Dorado Christians from St. Mary's Episcopal Church brought Holy Communion to her. The blood of Christ keep you in everlasting life, they'd say. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. This was Jesus Christ from his last meal on earth reaching forward in time to Candy Nolan to soothe her, calm her, and anoint her. Everything's all right. Yes, everything's fine. Pools of clear blue water, starlight in the sky. You'll be mine forever, my darling, far beyond the great divide. That's from an old Emmylou Harris song, Green Pastures. Forever is a long time. My Uncle Charles Murphy, having fun at dinner, would challenge his nephew, the priest. Okay, Reverend, tell me this. How can we live forever without getting bored to tears? Thomas Aquinas would have loved Charles Murphy. In writing the Summa Theologiae, for every claim that Aquinas made, he would begin by naming the best objections to it he could think of. For example, does God exist? It would seem that God does not, because for everything that happens, we have a solid natural explanation making God superfluous. Also, a God worthy of the name would not allow the evils that we see on earth, moral like murder and natural like disease. Belief in God is inconsistent with the facts of life. Only with those objections squarely in view will Aquinas start his exposition. Page after page, reading the Summa is like a dinnertime repartee between Reverend Aquinas and Uncle Charles. So, to the present question. When we die, 
Are we going to live forever? Are we going to light up the sky? It seems that we will not, the objection states, because an eternal life worthy of our hope would be a happy one. But sooner or later, we would wake up bored. Bummer. My thought had been to try to figure out how Aquinas would respond to that objection. I am not an Aquinas expert, but I have taken a course, read books, and written papers on him. If I am worth my scholarly salt, I should be able to cipher out his answer. And then I remembered that this is 2019, and I could Google it. Ask Thomas Aquinas, I typed in, why won't we be bored in heaven? <laughs> and up popped a website called the Catholic Resource Center, which lists 14 objections to belief in immortality, and number 14 is boredom. To that, three replies are offered, but I need only to tell you the last one. Question, why won't we be bored in heaven? Answer, because we are with God, and God is love. And even on earth, the only people who are never bored are lovers. Which takes us back to an icy night and a chance encounter on an airplane, a father with his daughter, an actress curled up with her script across the aisle, in those few moments, an intimation stirred in both of them, a foolish-seeming hope, but real and potent. That fateful moment on an airplane is our clue.